Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hello, sir. Okay, so today we're talking about a show. I'm going to let you give a little bit of the intro, Adam, just to mix it up because, you know, keep people on their toes. Yeah, so let's keep people on their toes. So this was a show that that Jordana and I, neither of us had seen before we decided to discuss it. We just heard about it and we heard good things, but it was interesting because based on the premise alone, we were like, oh, that sounds almost like uh, the, our very first episode was about Mrs. Maisel, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, and this is another female comedian who's, who's making her way. And the show is called Hacks. And so we gave it a shot. And here we are talking about Hacks seasons one and two. Right. So we, we Adam and I had, uh, we had the opportunity to binge thoroughly. So thank you to those who suggested that we do Hacks because it's two seasons, which... It's surmountable. You it's know, once bingeable. you get over two. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get over two seasons, then it becomes like, wow, this is my full time job. <laughs> I would say that the two pivotal characters, although there are many uh, secondary characters who mm-hmm. are compelling and hacks, the two main characters are my favorite, Deborah Vance, played by the inimitable Jean Smart, mm-hmm. who is quite remarkable. And she is the elder comedian who is really She's cast in the show as being a pioneering female comedian. So, yeah, you were right, Adam, like really sort of like what Mrs. Maisel could have become. Mm-hmm. And here she is at this point in her career where she has a regular gig at a hotel in Vegas. And I think that the world is turning and her regular gig is going to be no more. So she's going to have to work on a new show and new material. And to do so, she has hired... Oh, man, I hate this. Would you call her Gen Z? Yeah. Is she Gen Z? She's Gen uh, Z. And and yeah. one of the reasons I love that is because this is a show that focuses on the two generations that you and I are not a part of. Correct. Because we are thoroughly, we are we're thoroughly, X, right? Well, I like oh, to I'm call sorry. myself a geriatric a millennial. millennial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm straight up Generation X. But Ava so. uses millennial as an insult. Like, like they call her <laughs> yes. a millennial and Ava's like, don't you know they're almost 40 by now? And I was like, yes, you know, millennials <laughs> are old. We're grownups now. You know, we have podcasts now. So anyway. Right, right. So Ava is this Gen Z person who is, she's really in some ways <laughs> just kind of not really formed yet. So we're going to talk about mm-hmm. Eva in the second part of the podcast. We're going to start out with Deborah yeah. because I'd really love to hear Adam's take on what's her deal? Where is she psychologically? I mean, who is she as a person? She's clearly right. a force of nature. Right, right. So as, as as I've started to do in this show, I'm going to give a two-liner. This is like the idea of like, all right, one psychiatrist handing a patient over to another and they have to describe them really succinctly. The two-liner for Deborah Vance is like, this is a woman in... Uh, would you would you describe late middle age? I, I suppose. Yeah, sure. Late late middle age. She's a. I mean, I feel that goes until death, like until exactly like, late middle you, age. If you live to one hundred and twenty. Yeah, okay. yeah, I agree. So maybe then she's 
middle middle age. Anyway, let's move on. Sorry. Sorry. So she's um, she's she's a woman who's achieved a great deal in her life, but in her personal life has had tremendous struggles relating to other people, mm-hmm. including her daughter, including the staff that works for her. Seem to be the only real connections that she has to the real world, mm-hmm. and she has been so tremendously financially successful that she can get her way no matter what it takes. So that's the that's sort of like the brief two-liner. Now, what's so bad about that? Well, the problem <laughs> is that it leaves her feeling isolated, lonely, despairing, wondering if if everything she's done amounts to anything. You know, so now we get a little bit deeper. You know, she's the, the show, the premise is like, all right, she's going to do her 20, I think, 2,500th show, right. and that's going to be her last show. They're kicking her off her stage, her residence in, in Vegas. Now... When, when you're being sort of evicted from the very thing that you wrap your entire identity around, it asks the question, what are you? What makes you who you are if you're not up on stage telling jokes like this? And so that's sort of like the, the thing that she's going through that she struggles with, I would say. The thing about her is that she has what I would deem unnecessary, gratuitous friction in every single relationship in her life. She has fights with people relentlessly and constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, the one person that I didn't, two people I did not see her fighting with, she didn't really fight with Kiki, the woman who Mm -hmm. comes over and plays blackjack as her dealer with her. Or Josefina, her housekeeper. Mm-hmm. But really, for the most part, she's very—I uh, can use the word bitchy. She's very bitchy to everybody. And we fast forward, I would say, probably probably one of the most egregious examples of this is—and again, as always, we're going to spoil spoilers. things, so there yeah. will be spoilers. She sues Ava. Mm-hmm for a violation of her NDA for, anyway, it doesn't matter right now why she used to hurt. <laughs> um, but the point is that even when you feel that the two of them have patched up their relationship for the time being, she sort of keeps that going. So my question to you, Adam, in that long and, and, and cumbersome uh, layup is why? What's, what is the deal with someone who... She's attained professional success. She clearly has, on the outside, a strongly developed sense of self. So why are these interpersonal relationships from her, as you pointed out, her daughter, DJ, with whom she seems to have just only friction, nothing mm-hmm. nothing good, from her daughter to her ex-husband left her for her sister. There's mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. a whole story there that I'm yep. sure we'll hear about in season three. What is the deal with that? All right, so... When we're doing this show, Jordana and I, I consider myself having three hats that I can put on at any given moment. One, I'm always wearing. That's that's just Jordana's friend. We're chatting about the show. Right. The other is what I like to call Psychobabble 101. This is where I'm sort of giving the, well, in an intro to psych class, this is what you might hear this description right. of. That's and, my level. And, and, <laughs> then, and then there's what I, what I compliment myself about being the, my professorial hat, which is a little bit more academic. So I'm going to start with Psychobabble 101 here. Okay. Deborah Vance, you alluded to it already, you know, in the most important relationship in her early life, 
was sort of betrayed in the most egregious fashion, right? So mm. uh, she came up as a comedic partner with her husband. Mm. She says basically at some point that everyone assumed he made her career, you know, that that it was almost like a Sonny and Cher kind of relationship, but Cher was much more talented, you know, whatever it might <laughs> right. be. De- Deborah right. Vance is like really smart and talented and funny and uh, marketable and commercial and, and the whole, you know, she's got, she's got it all going. So when he leaves her to be with her sister, it is essentially the, the a mortal wound to her interpersonal capability. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's in other words, it's, 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 uh, uh she'll, she'll, uh, at least at the end of season two, you know, she's still just barely able to connect with, with people who don't work for her at the most superficial level. When you think she's broken through, she starts to feel threatened that she's going to get hurt again, right? So when, when she mm. becomes close to someone, then that, you know, like that that fear of abandonment and betrayal kicks in and she says, I've got to do something to, unconsciously to push this person away. In Ava's right. case, I'm going to sue her even while she continues to help me with my special, et cetera. Right, right. Okay, and if you want to go academic, oh, what do you say? I, 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 I do, I do want to. So this... There's a concept that I, I think I honestly, we, we all learned about this, or at least some of us, and then have forgotten and re- relearned several times over the years, this idea of Ericksonian stages of development. So Eric Erickson, awesome name, by the way, uh, eight <laughs> stages of human development. He says that this is a psychologist years ago, says essentially we all have to navigate these dilemmas across our lifespan. Mm-hmm. And... You know, some of them we navigate as infants. Uh, Can you trust the person that's supposed to take care of you? Some of them as toddlers. You know, do I have independence? Can I actually use the bathroom when I'm supposed to? And or do I have to have my diapers changed? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Some in school, some in adolescence, some in adulthood, etc. But where Deborah Vance is 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 a combination of the last two Ericksonian stages. They are. In middle age, we we go through a period of generativity versus stagnation, and mm. in older adulthood, integrity versus despair. Now, Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so wow. let's let's start generativity versus stagnation. So right. she's being told, yeah, that last show is is your final show. You know, you can keep doing comedy, but not here. You know, last mm-hmm. call. Uh, so it's essentially a a a threat of are you done being a productive member of you know the thing that you've identified with as a core being of yourself since you were a young woman are you finished with that and if right. you're finished with that what's left right mm-hmm. and that brings us to the last uh, phase. But can I jump in for please, a second? Please do. Because she'd already sort of in a in a way would you say that the betrayal by her husband was already kind of a foreshadowing of that kind of, you know, closing time. Like you can keep, you can keep having sex in an intimate relationship, just not here with your husband and your sister. Yeah. Not the sexual relationship with the sister. In, In other words, she'd already had part of her life closed off from her without her consent. And you see how damaging that was to her. So, mm-hmm. I, I see a kind of echo between those. Two. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And a lot of the, a lot of these things do echo across decades. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. 
and you know what do they say about history it doesn't repeat it rhymes that kind of thing and, mm. and uh, with her I think that's happening for sure and then finally it's sort of like well what is it all about uh, wh why am I doing this right so there's a there's an element of the character in the show where she's built an empire that gives her great fortune right she does these uh what is it, QVC? Is that yeah, the name? QVC. Yeah, She does QVC and sells things really well, and there's a built-in audience that buys stuff that she shills, you know? Is, uh, if I can, is that a, that's a word I can say? Shill. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is shill just like a regular word, or is that a, is that a slang word? I don't even mm, I'm pretty sure it's regular. Okay. Having Garden a, variety, yeah. Having a senior moment as, as a geriatric millennial. <laughs> so You put the geriatric into millennial, Adam. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, so she's built this whole thing, but but it's framed. You know, I have no problem with people who sell things on QVC, but it's framed as a sellout, right? That she's selling out. She has so much more potential, and it's framed that way by her sort of antagonist sort of character, Ava, who's Gen Z and thinks that that realness is what it's all about. Haven't you, essentially, and we're transitioning a little bit to Ava here, but Ava comes in, and and they're star-crossed comedians because neither of them want to be with each other at the beginning of the show. They're mm -hmm. sort of forced upon each other to help each other out and Ava sort of realizes this woman is so much more than she has portrayed herself to be on QVC mm -hmm. and on doing the same show over and right. over. She's selling herself short and, and people are buying. Right. You know, so she sold herself short and it's been very lucrative but and that, so gets, more. that gets us to the last stage of integrity versus despair, you know. Mm -hmm. And so finally, um, the you know, if we're going to therapize this this uh, woman, Deborah Vance, it would be to basically do encourage what Ava has been encouraging, which is to get in touch with a version of herself that she's proud of, that she feels ownership and agency over, you know, which is the story, an amazing story of her life. And right. trend, uh, what's the word? Um, channeling that into mm -hmm. her work, which is what she's finally able to do at the end. Right. Right. And then we get to Ava. Yeah. Let's talk about Ava. Let's talk about Ava. <laughs> do you think, first of all, do you think it's any kind of indicator of my own age if I liked the Deborah Vance character more than the Ava character, I think it is, and that makes me very sad. No, well, that's one. I, that's one of the reasons I I loved watching this show. It was like I was like an alien looking down on Earth, being like, "What are these two creatures?" You know, creatures isn't the right <laughs> word, but like, okay, okay, you know, they're 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 like. How, how each of them see the world is so distinct from how I think you and I see the world. Yes. Uh, because yes, of, I, I am also not inclined to spend whatever it was, $50,000 or something for a pepper shaker <laughs> um, and to pursue that with a vehement passion. But similarly, um, uh, I don't know. I just feel like Ava, she kind of just goes through life like going into random rooms and putting her feet up on tables and uh, just she she doesn't ironically she she writes the room but she doesn't read the room and she seems very awkward and not even comfortable in her own skin let alone in any context that she doesn't determine. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's enter Psycho Babble 101 for her. Yes. Um, I mean, what they do to inform her character. So on its face, it's sort of like, oh, let's make some generalizations about Gen Z. Uh, they're entitled. They, uh, you know, think everything has to be about them. You know, th- a joke can't just be a joke. It has to be a self-revelation, you know, that kind of thing. Deeper, you know, the, the show gives us more content by showing us the home that she grew up in. Very dysfunctional. Um, Very uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Her mother, her interactions with her mother are some of the most uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I I can't put a diagnosis to the mother's character because I I was about to volunteer manic, but, uh, you know, I I don't know. I, I didn't get that vibe, but I got a vibe of this is not a person that Ava felt cared for growing up in a secure way right right so like everything was a everything anything ava did or said to her mother was reacted to you know at 100 miles an hour just like the intensity of it so much so that it would push push you away you know it would it would it would and, and that was I think that's something that both of our main protagonists have in common is they were pushed away in their personal life and they found comfort, you know, in the comfort in the audience of strangers, basically, in writing and connecting with strangers. Right. And the sense of self derived completely from their work and from their craft um, to the point where when Ava is at the state fair with Marcus and the caricaturist asks her for some hobbies... She says, I uh, write. And he says, but that's your job. So what are your hobbies? Mm-hmm. And she's really like very hard pressed to think of anything mm-hmm. that she likes to do for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because it's the only source of joy that she has is that validation that she gets through work. So what is the psychobabble and actual uh, diagnosis for that. Well, let's go, let's, let's advance from psychobabble to, uh, okay, professorial because I've got something for you. So okay, good, good. Fine. now this is, um, a stretch because these are typically dilemmas that school age and adolescent children go through, but mm-hmm. school age children, it's called industry versus inferiority. She's got that in spades, right? She's trying to figure out, do I have what it takes? Right. In the very first episode, she says to Deborah, I think it's the first episode, she says, I'm good. And Deborah's like, good is the minimum. Good is the bare minimum. Mm. Then you have to work and claw and, you know, make your way through this miserable industry to succeed. And so it's it's like this question that she has. She sort of fluctuates. She almost careens back and forth between I'm I'm a really great writer to I'm totally worthless and I should give this up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that by the end of season two, everyone's sort of convinced like, all right, the two of them are both great writers and they bring the best out of each other. So, so that's one. And then the next one after industry versus inferiority is identity versus identity confusion. And this almost could apply to both of them. It's sort of like... Who are you if you're not writing? You know, um, so I don't know. I like to think that if I were not a psychiatrist, I would still have a sense of, you know, like who I am, what's important to me, what do I, you know, what can I contribute to the world or what can I enjoy in the world? Those are things that the, you know, in the scene you described, she can't, right? If she's not, you know, the fir- the first, I don't know, half of the show, she's sort of like pr- presented as a, uh, 
not a social climber, but a careerist climber. Like anytime she sees someone who might be able to help her, she tries to get in and make it happen. And, and so that scene sort of elucidates for us like, Oh, without this gig, she's, she doesn't know what she is, you know? And so that if she were on the couch, I think that might be a focus of like figuring out, okay, you know, if writing is a job and, and a career, great. What are you after that? You know, beyond that. Um, right. What's important to you? Who are you? What's what are the things you want to achieve? Leave behind uh, experience in this life, you know, because she's got her whole life ahead of her, you know. So what does she want? And what made me sad was that, you know, Deborah finds Eva's liabilities a real asset in terms of relating to her. They're speaking the same language, right? They both define themselves by what they do, and I thought that the unspoken and sometimes spoken implication of a kind of mother-daughter relationship when she has an actual daughter and her actual daughter, DJ, does so much to act out just to get the attention and the love that she wants so desperately from her mother. And You know, she's trying to tell her mother in one scene about going through IVF and which anyone remotely proximate to IVF knows is no picnic. And her mother's like, uh, okay, uh, good for you. Like, you know, like going into kind of a a bouquet of cliche to, you know, the Mm -hmm. way you would react if someone selling you a bus ticket told you the same thing. As opposed to the empathy and the love that you want from a mother. Um, right. So that made me really sad. So what, what you know, do, do hurt people um, find a home in other hurt people? Yeah. And, and in some ways, I, the, I think the short answer is yes. And and in in some ways, I think it's almost like that's all that's available. You know, in other words... It, it, those relationships that have been damaged for 30 years aren't easy to mend, right? And so, and and certain things you can forgive but not forget, right? So the mother-daughter relationship is what it is. And yet, when she films her special, she wears uh, some of the atrocious jewel- jewelry that... Uh, <laughs> so judgy. That, <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. No, I really Everyone who knows me knows I'm a, a great judge of bedazzled jewelry. Um, yes. Yes. That's one thing. <laughs> no, that's I, one way I describe you. If yeah. I did a caricature of you, it would be surrounded yep. by bedazzled jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. So she wears that knowing, you know, and that I think was written in as sort of like a, uh, look, she's making, she's made, it's an olive branch to her daughter saying, I'm, I'm going to try a little harder, you know, to be supportive, knowing that I've messed up those first 30 years. There's also a, a, a conversation where, after she's seen the special now, and, you know, this isn't much of a giveaway, the daughter says to her, you know, I I never knew, you know, I learned that you were actually trying, but, and and how hard it was to be my mother, and and you still messed it up, and, and I'm worried I'm going to mess up, and she says, of course you are. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, it's impossible not to. Right. But, but it's arguably it's more impossible if you didn't have the, the model of someone who got it right in the first place, so, yeah, you know, so that's hard. Okay, so when you look at both Deborah and Ava, yeah. if they came into you as patients, yeah. how would you guide them? How would you help them to be their best selves? 
to yeah so for Deborah it's it's got to be a focus on you know there's a, a school of psychotherapy called interpersonal psychotherapy uh, and I think that's got to be the focus of, is literally on how she relates to people that don't work for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do work for her, but she actually gets along fairly well with the lady that deals her blackjack and, you know, that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's the people in her life that she has no control over that she can't allow in. And so working with her on, on first recognizing that, having insight to it, and then changing those behaviors, right? For Ava, when we end the show, Ava, A, is is a young woman, very talented, and now I think sought after Mm -hmm. in Hollywood, right? Right. So she's got the, the, you know, the the entire world is her oyster, so to speak, in terms of what she can achieve. And that's great. It's great to have options. But the therapy has to be, I think, about A, choosing, aligning your behaviors with your values, right? We've talked about that on prior episodes, I think. But so, you know, like not self-sabotaging, which she has a tremendous habit of doing Mm -hmm. and not sort of flying off the handle because someone says something that didn't agree with her, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think at times was sort of painted as like, this is all Gen Z is just like this. They'll get so angry about something that's not important. Yeah. Yeah. But so she has to not do those things. And then separate from that, she needs to build a life outside of beyond career, right? And a sense of self, like you said, finding things that are important to her that get her going that don't involve achievement, you know? And and that, that would be the focus with her. Who do you think would be harder to get to the end goal? <laughs> I think Ava, this is now, now I'm going to make a, a broad generalization myself. I think in Ava's generation, therapy has almost no stigma. It's like beyond, it's it's gone to the opposite end where like everyone has a therapist, you know, everyone thinks that everyone should have a therapist and and, right. and that's great. You know, um, and, and for a lot of people, it's made tremendous uh, difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. Deborah Vance, I think she says at some point that she's tried therapy or been in therapy, but she clearly has an idea of like, that's not for me. That's for other people, you know? So as, as we talked about with, you know, the Don Drapers of the world and, you know, Deborah Vance wouldn't, would be a very hard patient to connect with in a way that, that gave her confidence that we could actually enact change together. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be the bigger challenge. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That was a great. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Do. I. I. I, Well, I'm. I'm going to throw a a real curveball at you, Jordan. Oh my gosh, I'm ready. Something. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Something happened between our last between (laughs) our last episode and this episode. You informed me that Uh the first time a show that we have discussed has gotten the axe. Yes. Time traveler's wife. It's not true. renewed for season two. And I thought maybe we could just spend like two minutes talking about our, our reaction to that. Sure. So first of all, I don't, I, I want to be very clear that neither Adam nor I think that the, that discussion of Time Traveler's Wife on this podcast caused it to be canceled. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't discuss that with Adam beforehand, but I'm pretty confident that both he and I don't, we, we claim no responsibility for Listen, sending we're, we're very powerful people in Hollywood, but so powerful. Uh, you know, we, we go out of our um, way not to, you know, bring people down on this show, you know. There have been shows that I've liked less than Time Traveler's Wife that still run about happily about their business. So, you know, clearly it's, it's, Sadly, not related to to my opinion. Yeah, I don't really know why that would be. And I was thinking about it and I thought, 
I feel like Time Traveler's Wife is one of those shows that it did get better as mm-hmm. it went on. I I do think I I I'm gonna go with the idea that I think that getting on board the conceptual there was no easy on ramp into the yeah. show if you hadn't already right. like you and I been a fan of the book and the which brings movie. you to the point of why why make the show if you've already got. People who, you know, if the people who are going to watch the show have already seen the movie and read the book, what you got to bring right. more, in my opinion, right? And Agreed. and uh, they made the cardinal sin. I'm talking like I like 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 a like I would never say this to anyone's face, and so now I have to now I feel sheepish. But they made this cardinal sin of like it felt like they saved a lot of great material for season two. That's never that's never going to happen, you know. Mm. Like there were a lot of unexplored avenues in in their family and and everything about right. anyway. No, but the moral of the story, Adam, is really never save your best stuff for season two because who knows who knows, who knows what tomorrow yeah. can bring, yeah. you know. Maybe tomorrow doesn't come. Maybe tomorrow already came and it's, it's <laughs> yesterday. Okay. Oh, you know, yeah. you just don't know. One other thought I had, you know, when, um, like, you know, How I Met Your Mother was, was was a show and there have been like two different iterations where they're like, why don't we just flip the genders and do How I Met Your Father? And I was like, oh, what if it was like Time Traveler's husband? And then I imagined... <laughs> the the time traveler being Claire and she comes back and the husband just like hasn't done the you know the laundry's just piled up and oh my god that <laughs> is hilarious like how long have I been gone two weeks what the hell is all this shit well, still doing didn't in this you thing bring Tommy to his baseball game at all like what you <laughs> didn't do anything <gasps> Tommy <laughs> oh no Tommy's still at practice <laughs> yeah for the record I'd watch that show. I'd watch that show. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I think we can get into how it's a little bit of male privilege to assume that you can just wake up naked in a random alley and somehow emerge yep. okay. Because, you know, I feel that as women, you know, that would be met with less incredulity <laughs> and more sexual assault. So, so maybe that's the reason that the that the gender flip yeah. never happened. But it- yeah, you know, sorry, sorry, Time Traveler's Wife. And if any of the cast or crew are listening, we're sorry. Yeah, we, we would have watched season two. We just want you to know we totally we would have watched it. And uh, in conclusion, we bear no responsibility for a cancellation. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. I co-signed. See you next time, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.